Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. It's Joe Marino, Kyle Krabs, and Chris Schubert. We're from the Draft Network, and we are just days away from the 2022 NFL Draft. It can't get here soon enough. All the speculation will soon be over, and we will be able to know what teams these players play for. Kyle, what's going on, my guy? Let's freaking go. The wait is over. We have made it to draft week. And uh, it's that time of year where, like, the little birdies are out, right? And they're they're whispering. Tweet, tweet. Tweet, tweet, tweet. That's right. And they're, they're whispering sweet nothings and promises of correct picks in your mock drafts, right? And I think that's a fun layer that we have to this week uh, is this has been one of the most unpredictable draft cycles that we've worked through to this point in time. And now it's like, okay, how much of it's going to manifest itself? And I understand it's lying season and there's misinformation that's purposely put out there. But you're getting a lot of things from a lot of different places. And I think that that's what makes it really fascinating is we kind of sort through this information here and now. Well, and we're extremely competitive people. And whenever we do mock drafts, we want to be right. And so what's going to be fun today here on the show is we are going to unpack a lot of the thoughts that are prevailing in our minds as we're getting ready to craft our final mock drafts, our final predictive mock drafts for this cycle. And we're going to have some of those challenging conversations out loud for you guys to listen to here today, where we're going to get into the most difficult teams to predict, the most fascinating teams to predict, and just be completely candid with you with what's on our minds and how we're feeling and what those final mocks are ultimately going to look like. And, oh, by the way, uh, we are also going to be attacking each other this week over our draft boards as well because oh. our final rankings are done. So there, there's a lot of high-level conversations we got coming this week. And, and it's obviously very exciting, but, of course, this is all kind of rotating and circling around what we're hearing we should expect come Thursday night. And, of course, the draft is all three nights, but uh, Thursday night is kind of your heavy-hitting stars from college football finding new places to call home. And um, the the winds have shifted a little bit for expectations. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds in the NBA playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. And don't forget about the Major League Baseball season. It's back, and the New York Mets are doing pretty good there, Chris. Uh, number one team in the league right now. Who are you picking in the World Series? If you're picking the Mets, you can go... Bet on them over at Bet Online, your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BLEAV, that's B L E A V, to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. So Kyle and Chris, as we start this conversation and and you look at the top of the draft and you you see the Jacksonville Jaguars picking number one, and it's kind of crazy. Last year was the first time in franchise history that they ever held the number one pick. Well, fast forward one year and they're right back in that number one spot. Now this time, they're not going to pick a quarterback, 
but I've kind of narrowed it down to two players. I know that Trent Balky, their GM, has recently said that there's four players in consideration. Yeah, I think it's two. There's two. Uh, and, and we'll see if we agree on the two. Trayvon Walker, Edge from Georgia, and Ikemi Kwanu. Offensive tackle and, NC State. And what's really interesting about that is I think Jacksonville is, is making their decision. I feel like Balky is the one that wants Trayvon Henderson. Trayvon Walker. Trayvon Walker. You know, you John Henderson? No, I was thinking of Trayvon Henderson, the, the, the Hawaii safety from several years ago. <laughs> you, you can see how that is just a very normal thing to uh, oh. creep into your mind here three draft uh, cycles later when you're talking about the number it's one pick we're here. compared to a, a late day three safety. But that's the world we live in in this draft space. But Trayvon Walker who I think is Balky's pick, who really fits the prototypes of the defensive lineman that they've went after or that he's went after in the past, you know, considering his time with the, with the 49ers. But then it almost feels like we're hearing that Doug Peterson's the one that wants left tackle Ikemi Kwanu out of NC State, which is really fascinating to me because, you know, Balky doesn't necessarily have a great resume in terms of working with people, right? Like the, the relationships with San Francisco were soured. A lot of coaches didn't want to go there because this offseason because of Bulky. And they walked into friggin' Doug Peterson to be their coach. They somehow hit a home run. And it just feels like a matter of time before, you know, the Balky friction pl- bubbles yeah, up. and It happens at some point. But Balky, if that pick is Trayvon Walker, I think that we will know. Balky one. Balky one. But here's the problem. This is why you don't do partial resets. Right. And Jacksonville has done this time and time and time and time again, where it's never consistently, we're going to wipe the slate clean, we're going to bring in everybody and start from square one together. Because Trent Balky needs to win right now. And he's probably looking at Cam Robinson at left tackle and saying, well, we're paying him $18 million and we have mm-hmm. Jawan Taylor. Why would we pick Ike McQuanu to be the starting left tackle in 2023 when he's presumably going to play guard for us in 2021 as the number one overall pick or 2022 is the number one overall pick. I need more pass rusher. I need somebody to help stop the run in the AFC South. I need to draft Trayvon Walker because my job security depends on it. Well, Doug Peterson saying, I just got here. I could give two farts what you need. I need a star offensive tackle because that's what I had in Philadelphia to work with Trevor Lawrence. And that's how they walked into Doug Peterson because they have Trevor Lawrence. And then you have a scenario where if they, if Balky does win this and it is Trayvon Walker at number one and the things don't go the way Jacksonville maybe envisions they go this year, now you're replacing the general manager at the end of the year. The head coach is stuck with a pick that he didn't necessarily yep. advocate for. A new general manager is coming in that didn't pick the head coach and you're probably picking in the top five once and again. And around and around we go. We go. I mean, that, that's I mean, this pick. That's the concern. That is the concern you have with just this pick right here is that this could spiral into we're just the merry-go-round is going around again and here we go. Jacksonville's picking in the top five. They have instability with their organizational structure, and they don't know what direction they're going in. Here's the other interesting thing. Talking about Ike McQuanu potentially in play at number one. If he doesn't go one, mm-hmm. where's Ike McQuanu's range expected as we've heard about other teams and their interest in other offensive linemen and other players? And like, There's this whole fascinating subplot here where Ike McQuanu could be one or he could be the the next to last pick in the top 10. And there's not a lot of spaces mm. in between. 
I guess I would be surprised if if he gets past this gauntlet of the Jets at four, the Giants at five, and the Panthers at six. I'll give you the I'll give you the, the case study right now. How okay. that happens. All right. Jaguars go one. They take Trayvon Walker. Okay. Aiden Hutchinson goes two. Okay. Sauce okay. Gardner goes three. Okay. Right? No. Kayvon Thibodeau goes two. Because okay. then Aiden Hutchinson goes four, four to, the, to Jets. the Jets. Yes. And now you enter this world where... And now Evan Neal is the pick at five for the Giants, and the Panthers want a pass protector, and they take Charles Cross. And the Giants, wow. are gonna, and the Giants double dip, don't double dip at seven. Right, because you're they not going to give uh, a tackle at eight to Atlanta. And so now it's you're, you're looking at Seattle. And you know nine. what I mean? That is the is, scenario. That's the scenario. Is the thought process with the Giants more so that Evan Neal is proven at right tackle? They're not going to. I don't think they're going to move Andrew Thomas. Right. So, so you would want the year. guy that well, don't right. don't mess with that. Right. Right. Wow. Okay. So that that's crazy to me, but I, I certainly see the path. I mean, Ike McQuan was well deserving of being a top five pick. Correct. We, we, but, we're but talking it, about him as the number one pick. Right. But if the right. Jets fall into Aiden Hutchinson at four because Detroit, you know, Brad Holmes being a, a West Coast guy dr- taking Kayvon Thibodeau yeah. and Jaguars take Walker at one and Houston goes with a corner, Nick Casario, yeah. we know how much they like length and physicality at the cornerback. Yeah. Like, Robert Hall's going to run into the room and be like, hello, Joe Douglas. We'd like Aiden Hutchinson, please. Right. <laughs> Right, yeah, that seems. It seems like Hutchinson. No way he gets past four. I'd be shocked. That's the floor. Right. I mean, with I'd be shocked. with, I would. I don't think he's uh, a one for one with Bosa, but I, I think conceptually that same style you of can player get there. Right. You can yeah, you're not. Get there looking at the way Salah likes to run his defense, and right. Salah talked about having a fight with. Joe, Joe Douglas talked about him and him and Salah maybe having a fight over offense or defense. The fight would break out if Hutchinson right. was available at four and Icky was also on the board. You'd think Joe Douglas would uh, just become his tag team partner then and not want to fight point. him. On. That seems like that'd be pretty easy for me. Not not to like... Not, I, I want to go back to Jacksonville for just a second because we as we kind of got into their situation as a, as a franchise, what's disappointing to me is that I think they're in a really good spot to take control of this division very quickly because Tennessee, you know, I think they're, I think they've peaked, right? I think they've achieved all that they can with Ryan Tannehill. And so I think at some point they're going to have to reset that quarterback position. It might be this year. We think about the Colts, good team. I think that they're lacking skill players on offense in terms of receivers and pass catchers. And how many years of Matt Ryan? Right. Uh, Matt Ryan. Right. Right. I mean, how, how long are you going to buy into this week? Oh, run the ball, play good defense. Houston's two years away from being two years away. And you're Jacksonville. You have Trevor Lawrence as your quarterback. Like, you've had resources. You have premium draft capital. Like, you have everything you need to get yourself into position to take control of the AFC South. But a lack of alignment within your leadership could really get in the way of that. So, yeah, just to kind of finish that off when it comes to the Jaguars. But, I mean, obviously, the, the... we talk about where does the draft start. I think the draft starts at one this year. Right. Usually, And usually it's you walk in and you have an expectation of like, okay, we're going to be chalk for the first three picks. No. Or, or you go, or you know where the quarterbacks are going to go and you're able to work right. around they're kind that, of the right? Pillar, they're the pillars of the conversation. And you just don't have that this year. No. I mean, the fact that we just talked about two players being in consideration at one, and the other, if the one guy doesn't go, there's a chance that he gets to nine or ten. Like, that's... 
that's the type of draft we're talking yeah. about. That's how that's how butterfly effect this draft is, right? Where one decision can absolutely change what players are available the rest of the the rest of the night. It's 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 a lot of fun. Is there another player that comes to mind for you guys that if he doesn't go in a particular spot, the range of possibilities is crazy. Like if he doesn't go here, then it could be a long wait. Trying to figure out what's going to happen with KT has been been really bothering yes. me over the last good 24 call. hours, right? Like, because I can I can very easily come up with a couple of different spots inside the top five that make sense. Once we start getting outside the top five, okay, there's a reason he's falling, and now it's like, am I just going to give him to Atlanta at eight? Am I going to give him to Seattle at nine? The Jets at ten, they probably are going to take a pass rusher at four. So it's like they're not in conversation. Now all of a sudden we're in the teens and we're talking about KT being on the board. Like that's how wild this can get. Yeah, I mean, Kyle referenced Brad Holmes, the GM of the uh, the Detroit Lions, and his tendencies to go with West Coast players. So you think like that's his ceiling too. But then it just comes down to a lot of preferential things. Like there's good other edge rushers in this class. Right. You know, which ones do teams like? And if you start to see a run on edge rushers and you don't love KT, are you going to go with a corner? Are you going to go with an offensive tackle? Which I think some teams could be inclined to do. And I think that's a great poll where KT's another player that I can see him going to, and I can see him going 12 to the Minnesota Vikings. And the, the mystery also sits at two. You know, we, we in walking through the doomsday scenario for Ike McQuanu, I even got my wires crossed trying to keep track of everything, but you could hear, hear Detroit call Aiden Hutchinson's name if Trayvon Walker goes one. You could hear them take Kayvon uh, Thibodeau because of the connection with Brad Holmes in the West Coast. Malik Willis has been a popular mock selection for them for the past month and a half, two months. So they're a team that, or, or do they go a different direction? Like, do, do they randomly have like, Stingley or Sauce Gardner is the top player on their board mm. that we haven't talked about, right? So I think Detroit's another fascinating team where the fact that all of a sudden there's unpredictability at number one now creates all of these splintering possibilities for what Detroit does at two. I have a hard time believing that the Lions would not pick Aiden Hutchinson if he's there at two. And we didn't even talk about Hutchinson as being on the short list at number one. And so I'm, I'm living in a world where I expect him to be there at two. And, you know, I've, I've been the Malik Willis at two guy for a while, and I've moved off of that. And I kind of started thinking about KT and the West Coast connections. But then it just kind of comes back to this Lions team and, and just kind of where they're perpetually in this challenging spot of always rebuilding and never really building a consistent winner and, how challenging that's got to be for your market, right? And, and, and just maintaining relationships. Like there's, we say this with some teams, like there's, there's where they go through rough patches where, wow, there's a generation of fans that never saw their team do anything. There's never been a Lions fan that's seen success, right? So you can imagine how difficult managing the relationship between the fans and the team can be. And I think given that, and given that, I think that they do have some good graces right now with Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes entering year two and the fight that that team showed last year. Overachieved last year. Right, they did. I mean, honestly, they should have had more wins than they did. Right, but played very well each and every week. Played hard each and every week. 
to me, it's just a very ripe environment where I think it almost comes down to like ownership saying, yeah, we're picking Aiden Hutchinson. Well, and, and, and I think we've had this conversation and I hope everybody that's listening appreciates that the, the conversation that the three of us are having right now is the exact conversation that all of us are having individually yeah. when we're putting together our mock drafts. Yep. Like this is what this is like when the microphones are down and we are sitting here putting together our mock drafts. This is what it is like. And I think the conversation that we had, I think it was yesterday, where we were like, well, if they're going to get an edge... Why do you not give them the guy that went to school there, can give some hope to the fan base, is just a huge marketing win, is a good player, fits the brand identity of what Dan Campbell's looking for? It just checks every box. Right. If they were going to go a different position than KT, then you can understand that, right? But if, you're, if we're comparing two edges right. that are both on the board and one's went to school in Michigan, how do you not do that? How is that not the choice? Right. Well, and that's why Sauce Gardner is at least worth talking about. He's a Detroit guy, right? He went to Cincinnati, but he's another like local player. And for years, right, we put out mock drafts. And anytime that you mock a Michigan player to the Lions, the Lions fans yell at you and say, oh, that's a lazy pick. You're just giving a Michigan player. Well, some a lot of the rumblings this year kind of like line up with that. And sometimes it's not like that simple where you're just giving a Michigan player the lines. Like sometimes it just makes sense. And I think their biggest need is edge. I think the best edge rusher in this class is Aiden Hutchinson. And oh, by the way, he just happened to play at Michigan. It's just, I don't know, like sometimes it is that simple. That's the thing that puts it over the top. It's not the, the ultimate decision maker. Right? I think that's the point you're trying to make. It's the it's, cherry on top. Right. It's not It's not we're doing this because he went to Michigan. It's he does all these other things. And oh, by the way, he went to Michigan. Well, let's talk about the need at corner for the Lions because... They have Amani Oruarie. That you 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 did pretty close. good. Yeah, Amani Oruarie from Penn State. Say it with your chest. No, he he gave you one attempt. That's all the attempt. Amani O. We'll go Amani right o, back. Amani I'll o. go right back to it. We are Penn State. Good player. Like he's developed nicely for them. And then there's Jeff Akuda. Ooh, you know, like Jeff Akuda. How do where where are we sitting collectively? Yeah. And not that I want to like turn yeah. into this like big Jeff Akuda yeah. conversation, but I think trying to figure out how the team perceives Akuda will give us some insight into, like, all right. Yeah, because this, go, this goes back to what we just got done talking about with Jacksonville, right? Who picked Jeff Akuda? Not, this, not Brad Holmes. Not, not, not this Brad organization, Holmes. right. Not Dan Campbell, right? Right. So now you're at a spot where you're looking. Obviously, there's a lot of financial implications with a former top three overall pick, playing a premium position, who has not been reliable, has not performed expectations, and you're sitting here and it's like, we can't wait on you. We got to go get our own guy. I mean, this performance, like, we're not culpable for the selection, but we're culpable for the results, and we're, we're culpable for, for the end result of this team. And this ain't going to fly. So, you know, we just got done talking about the potential pitfalls for Trayvon Walker yeah. if Balky wins over Doug, and then the team fails in Jacksonville this year, and then Balky goes, and now Doug's in position where he's in the catbird seat, but then there's a GM that comes in, and you're going to hire a GM and handcuff when the head coach and a first overall pick. Like, this is Jeff Akuda right now. Mm -hmm. And it's a very critical time for Jeff Akuda as a football player. Well, hopefully he gets healthy and, and fulfills his promise. But what, what I think this, you know, you already mentioned that the, the Patriots people, they like the cornerbacks. And, and you think about, you know, that was Bob Quinn and, and Matt Patricia, two Patriots disciples with, with Detroit. They picked Jeff Akuda. Was it number two, three, something like that? Very, very high in the draft. And you think about uh, Bill Belichick himself and how adverse he is to paying any player. But who's the one guy they paid? Stefan Gilmore, right? They mm -hmm. gave him the big contract. And we're like, whoa, okay, he will pay players. And it's a corner. Well, guess who's running the Houston Texans, folks? Nick Casario. Nick Casario. Yeah, another 
Patriots. I feel like he's from somewhere. Yeah. Disciple, like forever in that front office, and that's that's why I am very much believing that Sauce Gardner is the pick for the Houston Texans at number three. This has become very trendy within the last two weeks. Yeah, I was I was going to go a week, but two weeks is. What do you think has inspired that? Is it just people are connecting those dots? Is it like? The the sauce hype's been pretty hot for a while. I mean, we we started hearing about him. Oh, he can go as early as four to the Jets, and now it's like, oh, he's not getting to four. Yeah, I, I think I think the dot you connected is probably the biggest one, Joe. Is the is the Patriot connection and trying to figure out? Look, Houston needs to draft good players. It doesn't matter who, who's. Oh, is that a thing? It's a thing. Yeah, draft I think, good players. I think I got a hat that that has that on there that we Amen can that. That I can wear. But Houston is a team that needs to acquire good talent, and whether it's. Kyle Hamilton, whether it's Sauce Gardner, whether it's one of the other edges that remains on the board, they just need to draft a good player to get into that building and help start rebuilding this organization because that's where they are. Joe, you said it earlier in the show. They're two years away from being two years away. Right. Right? Just get good players in the building. That roster's like last year we talked about how it looked like an expansion roster, and we recently did the like yeah we restacked it. We right. did their transactions throughout right. the offseason, what staff, assets they right. have. We're sitting down studying teams, getting ready for the draft. And we looked at everybody they brought in and said, this is year two, and they're more of an expansion team than yeah, they were it's, last it's year. It's unfreaking believable. Their two biggest moves were they traded Deshaun Watson and they extended Brandon Cooks. That's what they did. I mean, they, that, they sign how many players to one year deals? They, they keep doing this. Like, what, I don't. You, I gave them some grace last year, but how do you not make some strides right. this year? You, you have a chance to align an influx in talent with your young draft picks. Like, you should be looking to have some pillars. Right. Now, I understand the perception of the Houston Texans organization is not great right now, so it's probably difficult to get people to come to and get commit people multi-year, to come. right? I get it. Jacksonville did it? but Right, but they gave Christian Kirk a market-breaking contract. Yeah. Right, I mean that's yeah. they still signed Brandon Scherf, and they signed but, but they who's the to, corner from the Rams, Demarius Williams. Like they do a lot of cash to do that over a lot of years, and maybe Houston's not comfortable doing that in the window that they operate in. But to me, the thing that I keep harping back on is they used their first pick in last year's draft in the third round to draft a quarterback. So the first pick after not having any draft capital, they said, you know what, we're getting a young quarterback. We're getting Davis Mills with our first pick. You got to surround him with talent to evaluate this kid. You have to put, you have to figure out what you have at the quarterback position, or else you're never going to be in a position to take anything in this division if the door opens up for you. So I, I'm very confused by what they're doing. But at number three, it's pretty simple. Look at your board, the top player you have on your board. Draft that player, move on, regroup for pick thirteen. Right. Would not be surprised at all if it's Sauce Gardner. Yeah, it's it's it's. I don't know how why I'm good. There will. I'd have to get some very clear information that's going to get me to move off of that for my mm-hmm. final mock mm-hmm. draft. I would agree. So we've done teams one through three as far as like pretty nuanced discussions about right. what And we're not going through all 32 everybody. No, that's not, that was never even the intent, but yeah. Um, what else are we hearing is like pillars of the first? Because it's the back half of the round is always so dependent on what happens in the front half of the round. So what else are we hearing about the early picks? That's like we're, we can glue ourselves here and this is an expectation that we can kind of trust a little bit is going to steer us in a direction for what the dominoes afterwards will look like. I think that at, at, at number eight, the Atlanta Falcons and a wide receiver, I, I, I think they have to. Their roster is in trouble, 
but they have nothing meaningful as a as a pass catching threat. I mean, Alamade, Zacchaeus, Frank Darby. No love for Kyle Pitts. I mean, I, I did this last as night. a wide yeah. receiver. All right, I, we're, it, it, I mean, he's going to be a pass catcher. But right, okay. I, I did say pass catcher. Your, your I'm, I'm sorry. Everybody put down your pitchforks. <laughs> I think Kyle Pitts is really good. But I think this is where we see the first wide receiver come off the board, and the question really comes down to, is it Garrett Wilson or is it Drake London? I'm inclined to believe it's Drake London. I think they're going to prefer the size and the volume ability and, and the fit with Arthur Smith, but I think it's at least worth, worth mentioning that Garrett Wilson's part of this conversation. I remember Kyle asking me a question yesterday of if the Falcons have to replace Calvin Ridley because he's suspended this year and they're probably going to move on from him next year, who is the player in this draft that is best suited to replicate Calvin Ridley in this Falcons offense? And that's the question that I have tried to answer when figuring out what to do here. We haven't even seen Calvin Ridley in this offense for any stretch of time, right? Like with Arthur Smith. Like to me, I go back to more the Tennessee and what – what players made that offense successful? And I think about A.J. Brown. And, and I don't think Drake London is exactly like A.J. Brown, but he's an interchangeable guy that, you know, is kind of a big slot, a physical player that blocks it, can get leverage at the catch point, and is very competitive after the catch. I see more parallels there, and that's what's pushing me towards Drake London as the receiver the Lions are going to target at number eight. So, Kyle, you started to kind of extend this conversation outside of the early picks, and we talked about the Falcons and what can happen at number eight. Mm-hmm. So as we kind of continue to move down the draft and talk about dominoes and, and talk about things that are interesting and things that we feel like we have some decent information on, what's that What's that next thing that comes to mind for you guys? Oh, man. Um, I would stay in front of Atlanta – and Carolina seems like tackle or bust, right? Yeah, I'm I'm all in on tackle for them. I cannot envision any other outcome for them at all. What do you think their What do you think their their board is? I've How heard, do you think I've heard they like Charles Cross a lot? For they like Trevor Penning too. Oh, oh, let's get weird and let him take Penning. Okay, so here's let's wh- let's get weird and let that happen. I would love that. What do we know about Matt Rule? Whether it's with the Carolina Panthers program builder. Right. Well, that's what he claims he is. But it's also like even wow. when he was recruiting players at Temple and Baylor. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> when he was recruiting players at Temple and Baylor, it was like, I want it's tools. I want tools. tools. I want, you know, I the want uncoachables. Right. I can well, teach you to do all this stuff. I know, I know a guy that's got some uncoachables. Well, okay. They all do, though, right? Like Neil Iquanu, Penning, and Cross, they've all got that stuff. That doesn't mean he just wants raw players. No, but I think, I think Penning's got that, that nastiness, that going to protect the quarterback at all costs, almost to a fault at times when throwing guys into his quarterback's knees. I think that kind of stuff is probably what entices Rule to, to like. Oh, by the way, the conversation we just had about the Jacksonville Jaguars, copy-paste applied to the Carolina Panthers, by the way. Well, and, and that's another interesting situation because Fitterer, the GM, came in a year after Rule was hired. So is it going to be a package firing or is is – is Fitter oh, going to no get way. to stick around? No way, because Fitter is in the better graces of Tepper. So why? He kept her. He kept Marty Herney. It was an evaluation. Oh window, my God, was the justification for that. Let's. We're going to cap ourselves here on Panthers <laughs> talk because this they just randomly we'll, we'll take keep, over we'll, every we'll conversation. Every yeah. But okay. So, but the, to to kind of bring this back to the tackles, we expect them to laser in at six, and they're not all going to be there. 
we they love traits and tools. They love the uncoachables. But we're also t- talking about a make-or-break situation here. They need a guy that can friggin' come in there and play from day That's one. That's why I'd be so surprised if, if it it's was Penning. Penning. Right, over Cross. Because for even the system concerns they that we have about Cross. They are opposite players. They, they are. But the system concerns that we have about Cross, like with run blocking and stuff like that, his angles and ability to frame blocks as a pass rusher and redirect and mirror and slide his feet, like that's that's all there. Right. He can do that from day one. Right. And he's the biggest question with him initially was size. Right. It's right? Not, it, we're good. Yeah. The box is checked. We're, yeah. we're totally fine. So, yeah, I, I would be stunned if we got to night one, pick six, and they end up drafting Trevor Penning. I just I can't wrap my mind around Over it. Charles Cross. I think he's the point. Over any of the other three tackles. Right. Oh, you think he's one on their board? Cross? Yeah. No, I'm just saying I think Penning's four on their oh, board. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Let, let me introduce a team here, and I, I'm, I, I'm interested to get Chris's thoughts on this because they're picking right before the Jets at 10. It's the Seattle Seahawks at number nine. And so I've, I, I'm guessing you've spent some time thinking about Seattle and how they can mess things up for the Jets at 10. But – we don't talk about the Seahawks don't pick in the first round a lot. They don't pick high in the first round a lot. When they do pick in the first round, it's something that we're completely like our eyes are like popping out of our heads because it's not anything we ever expect. And they're sitting there at number nine. Mm-hmm. They have Drew Locke and Geno Smith as their quarterbacks. Sure, yeah. Needs on the offensive line. Needs on the defensive line. Needs in the secondary. How do we even begin to think about Seattle in the top 10 of this draft? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to a conversation we had earlier to kind of potentially rule out something that I don't think they're going to do, right? And then maybe that we can help fill in the blanks. If we uh, agree here and the three of us do that if we were having to submit our final mocks today, Sauce Gardner would be the pick of three, right? Yes. yes. I'm assuming Derek Stingley Jr. is also going to go in the top 10 and it's not going to be nine to Seattle. Yes. Okay. I don't think corners on the table, even though that is a need for Seattle. I don't think they're going to reach for a corner at nine. No, because I don't think Stingley or Sauce are going to be there for him. Right. And so right. with those two guys not on the board, I don't think any of the other guys fit as a top right. 10 selection for, for Seattle. Sure. So now you're looking at offensive line. Well, we played out a scenario earlier where I McQuano could be there at nine. And if the Jets go pass rush at four, they do have a needed offensive tackle. You like to remind me this all the time, Joe. Yeah. Well, Seattle can be a landmine for them when it comes to the offensive tackle market, depending on the way the board falls. The challenging thing there is Seattle just has never prioritized the offensive line, right? Like, sure. It's mid round picks. It, you right. could also have four edges go yeah. inside the first eight picks. So are they going to reach for a guy up for the edge as well? You can probably write that off. What's what's more what's more likely to get to Seattle at nine? A top edge guy or one of the top offensive linemen? You mean top three tackle or top four edge? Yeah. Top four edge. You think so? Yeah. Especially because we're not in, we don't think there's four tackles. Like predictively, NFL, I don't think they're gonna pick Penning that high. Maybe Seattle's a team that will do it. They're they're such a perfect trade back and then take Trevor Penning team. In my mind. Team coming up for a quarterback? Somebody, somebody's not going to wait and say, I'm just going to sit at 16 or 20 to take a quarterback. Right? Somebody's going to move. You're not going to get into the top five. Are, are you willing to, to take that? Are you willing to say that a team is going to trade up for a quarterback at some point in this draft in the first round? Uh, why, are you looking for a wager? I think I so. I mean, we are in Vegas. Yeah, I think so. What would you like, what would you like to wager? Bet responsibly, folks. I, I don't I mean satisfaction of being correct. Wow. Wow. God doesn't even want to make Not a even real bet. conviction. 
Um, you could just make a friendly lunch bet with the guy. Uh, friendly lunch bet with the guy. Buy me a drink. Okay. So I will buy you bet. a drink. Let me buy you a drink. They're shaking on it. I know that's not really great for the audio uh, visual. It's not as a visual bit, but they are shaking on it. The, uh, the drink bet is official. So, Kyle, you are taking a team to trade up for... Somebody will trade up for a quarterback in the first round of this year's draft. Yes. And Joe says no, thank you. Joe says not. He's completely fading that idea in can't, its entirety. Can't wait to, uh, for that to happen and Kyle to never let me forget about it. But that, that's... Uh, that's why we do what we do. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's say Seattle stays. Can we, can we go back to that conversation and try to figure out what the heck they're going to do? Well, the other thing about Seattle is they have 40 and 41 in the second round. So they get... They've got all kinds of stuff here. Which they need. Yeah. It's a good thing they oh, have yeah. it because they need it. They could use you know another first, but they don't have that. And they won't get one. No, I, don't, I, I mean, I don't see a scenario where a trade down for a quarterback nets them another first round pick. They'll just do a pick swap and get some additional day two stuff. You don't, you don't think if they go back to 20... Okay, that's a little far, right? That's 11 I mean, the, spots. the two teams that would trade up are, are the New Saints Orleans and, and Pittsburgh. Yeah. 16 and 20. I don't think you're getting an extra first if the Saints are coming up to 16. So what's really fun here, though, is we're talking about Seattle potentially trading back, but it also being a landmine spot for the Jets. Mm-hmm. If New Orleans is going to field that pick, or if, if Seattle's going to field that pick, would the Jets just... Do you see them being proactive and slamming the door shut on anybody jumping them for a wide receiver, or...? Because what if what if a team that's closer than sixteen wants to get in on the action and jump the Jets for a player? So you're asking me would the Jets I, play defense? You think? So you're asking me do I think the Jets will trade up? Would the Jets 10? trade up from ten pick swap from nine to play defense if Seattle's open to their pick and a team's targeting a player that the Jets would want? Or do you think their board is big enough and Joe Douglas covets the draft capital enough that he would stand pat? Yeah, I, I think he would stand pat, um, but it also. This is a bad answer, but I think it depends on what they do at four, right? Depends on what kind of like if they don't take. Let's live in a world where they take Ike McQuano at four, and they're waiting on Jermaine Johnson at ten. If they want to shut the door and get Jermaine, then yeah, they might move up the spot to just secure their guy. But if they take Jermaine at four, maybe they don't care how the board falls to them at ten, and they just going to play the board and see how it works out. Because I, I'm here, I'm here to tell you that's the only place they can move up to, right? Right. Atlanta's going to take. If we, we talked about Atlanta taking a receiver. You can't get there. Are you going to trade up to seven for the Giants? I mean, I, that just feels that feels like too far to go up. Feels like you might as well just stay at ten. I, I think Seattle is going to have a chance at either KT or Jermaine Johnson. Yeah, they'll have one of them. So they would be trading away from that. And I, and that's a and tough thing if, to pass. If on. KT's there, right? Yeah, I don't think they're going to being now, the local. Yeah, but again. If the Jets take a pass rusher at four and they can flip spots, Seattle's not worried about the Jets double-dipping at pass rush. What's the pass rusher the Jets would take at four? Jermaine Johnson. Yes. Or, or the Aiden, or Aiden Hutchinson. Or the Aiden Hutchinson. Or the Hutchinson. Scenario. The Hutchinson thing I'm all the way but in. Jermaine on. Johnson they would take it for. Wow. I think they would be petrified of, of waiting to see if he could get the People will owe some apologies if Jermaine Johnson goes for right. Keith Sanchez would, would right. be s- sending out a mailing list. Right. He does. With, with return envelopes already addressed for apology letters because right. he came out of the senior bowl and he put Jermaine Johnson at four to the Jets and got blasted. Right. right. Absolutely blasted. And he kept on saying, he's like, what, what do Why these not? other players do that is that much better than Jermaine? If they love him, they got to pick him at four. They have he, to. I would, yeah. Now, if you're the Jets, 
what does that mean? Okay, so let's say you do that. You pick Jermaine at four. What are you hoping for at 10 in that scenario, Chris? Is You're probably... Aki Maguano, receiver. I mean, I think that's, you know, whatever receiver's not taken by Atlanta at eight, you're going to have... I mean, that's the only receiver we think is going to come See, off the board. that's where things get dicey to me. Because <sighs> I, I don't think you get a Kwanu at 10. I don't. And now you're talking about a receiver? Okay, so what if it's... What if it's... Walker, Hutchinson, Gardner, and then the Jets go Jermaine Johnson. Okay. Giants go Evan Neal. Panthers go Charles Cross. Giants go Stingley. Derek Stingley. Falcons go wide receiver. Now you're at Ike McQuanu again is at nine. This is another How does Seattle I, not pick him right there? At if nine? they get a if they get a extra first round pick as part of a quarterback trade. That's your ticket. That's the that's the golden ticket for the Jets. You get you get arguably the best in he is in our mind the best offensive tackle in this year's right. class, and you would get Jermaine Johnson with your two picks. Well, Equano is all. I talked to two NFL offensive line coaches about the top of the offensive tackle class, and they both said Equano. So I, it's not a hot take. That's a commonly shared well, let opinion. Let me ask you this: because we're, we're the, all these scenarios seem to be banging on the Giants going with Evan Neal. You're familiar with Joe Shane, yeah, based on his time in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. What do you expect his background is going to dictate for that pick at five? So if we're going to assume that Brandon Bean has influenced Joe Shane, I can tell you that the trenches will be prioritized, O-line, D-line. And with that in mind, you know, the players that they've typically went towards in the trenches are the traitsy guys, guys with length. And so to me, that screams Evan Neal in that spot. And then I do feel like the corner will be used at the other pick. Derek Stingley, the first year that Sean McDermott ran the Bills, he picked Trey White. And so I think they could go with a trench player and then a cornerback. So we've covered a lot of ground here, gentlemen. We, we've talked about quite a bit. As all in the top as ten. Things, all, all in the top ten. All in the top ten. But again, that's what's happening at 23 or 30 like, you're totally at the mercy of the chaos of the draft. And one of the things that we have heard, this was reported by NFL Network's Tom Palacero, is there's some teams that have as less than 15 first-round grades on their individual boards. So if you get into that situation, welcome to the wild, wild west, right? Because, like, you're not just like, eh, skip it, we'll use it next year. You have to spend the pick. And you're going to get this situation this year and you've already also heard this by some reports as well, where teams are going to be climbing over each other trying to trade out. And that's what's really fun. And Chris, I think that's why I came back to you and I asked you the Joe Douglas New York Jets defense question because the the cost to play defense might be next to zero with how many teams are trying to move out. You know, what's, what's the motivation to move back one spot when you can so readily available find teams that want to move i i love that piece of information that you just shared because i just think about being a team that's maybe sitting in like 22 23 24 and you have 15 grades and none of them are available to you when you're on the on on the clock at 24 what are you gonna do do you think it's a coincidence that eight teams have punted already on their first round pick this year right eight teams have multiple ones because other teams said no, thank you. I'm not feeling it, right? And 
Some of them were, were based off of trades from years past, but you've seen several trades that have happened because teams want an elite player and they said, we're not going to find one at 29 or we're not going to find one at 22. So let's get the heck out of here and go get an elite player. Yeah, and the, the backstretch of picks were, you know, the back half of the draft, 15 to 32, you have the Eagles picking twice, the Saints picking twice, the Packers picking twice, the Chiefs picking twice. And how do they use those resources? Are they aggressive to maybe move up a little bit? Are they just going to reach for players? It is going to be a wild scenario. And it's certainly going to be a wild week and weekend in general. You know, this is just really the tip of the iceberg. You know, things are going to continue to build until Thursday. And uh, I'm greatly looking forward to seeing what chaos comes down the ladder. I'm sure we're going to get some additional movement. Maybe not to the degree of the uh, blockbuster Texans Patriots trade that happened of a five <laughs> and six and seven swap, but we'll see. So make sure you stay tuned with us here at Draft Dudes. Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, Chris Schubert. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.